0: We're going to go on into uh, Acts 18 and we're going to talk about doing our best to convince others about Jesus. As I reflect upon my own life and knowing Jesus, I met Jesus for the first time when I was 16. Prior to the ministry of Young Life, introducing me to Jesus and telling me the story of Jesus, these two images, this is all I remember. This is all I knew about Jesus in my first 16 years of life. I was a Boy Scout, and so I think we met at a Lutheran church. And so this was the portrait of Jesus. I mean, I saw his portrait. You know, if somebody would ask me, you know, who is that guy? I would have said, well, that's Jesus. So, I I mean, I saw that portrait. So, I had that's the picture of Jesus that I had from the occasional times, mainly through scouting, that I went into church buildings. The only, like, really connection with church was my I do have memories of my parents dropping off my sister Kathy and I early, early, and we're kind of wandering through this crowded hallway with the same portrait, always that portrait, he was always there, uh, holding hands. And that's a really early memory. And then occasionally there was an Easter or a Christmas. Then my mom decided to go back and teach Sunday school in a Methodist church when I was in sixth grade. I went back, that same portrait was there. And uh, she thought we were going to Sunday school, as she taught Sunday school. We didn't. But I can't tell you what we did, because I'm really still, really totally ashamed. But that portrait, I knew about, there was, I mean, these, everybody, everywhere I went, they liked this portrait. So that's it. And then also in sixth grade, probably because I was living, doing what I was doing on Sunday mornings when my mom thought I was in Sunday school, my football coach took me to a Billy Graham uh, film about the end of the world. So that's the atomic, that's Armageddon, boom. And so that was the image. You know, at twelve, and I I did talk to a counselor. At that time, so when I walked away from that Billy Graham, you know, Armageddon horror show, I, I got to get a little. This is this looks like it's, a. I had a little green Gideon Bible, a little New Testament, and of course, it was in King James English, which you know everybody in Amarillo spoke King James English. <laughs> and this was this was my first Bible reference. This is what the counselor gave me to ponder about uh, when I took that little Gideon Bible home. And there there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Verse 2. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, in pain to be delivered. Verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered and to devour her child as soon as it was born. Verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And so I kept my little Gideon Bible with that little earmark, and I had a little shelf in my my closet. And so every once in a while, I would go and I would kind of get my little Gideon Bible and I'd look at that and go, wow, don't understand any of that. (laughs) But it really scared me. Now, that's all it. That was it. That's what I knew about Jesus my first 16 years of life. Now, I don't know if you remember what our morning is going to be about, but it's like the title is Doing Our Best to Convince Others of Jesus. Now I know, I know that whoever that that person was, I don't really remember if it was a man or a woman, I was too terrified to be able to tell man or woman talking to me at the Billy Graham film on the end of the world. I know, I'm, I know their intentions. I know they were, they were doing their best to tell me about the end of the world. But they didn't tell me about Jesus. I know every church building that I went into and they had that portrait of Jesus. I, I know in their heart, I, knew, I know the intent was we want to tell everybody about Jesus. So we're going to put this portrait up in every room of the church building in a prominent place. So I don't, I don't question that people's intent, it was really good, but that's the best they did. To tell somebody in Amarillo, Texas, I did not live in Tanzania. I lived in Amarillo, Texas. This is all I knew about Jesus. So could, could, could maybe we talk about this? Because like, I think, my guess is that there's still a lot of people all around us in the cities that we live from San Marcos through New Braunfels at the Canyon Lake over to Seguin down to San Antonio Wimberley that there are people that this is all they know or even less about Jesus So could this morning could we could we talk about Maybe doing our best, maybe like maybe doing better than what we're doing, to convince people about Jesus. And we can I think we can learn from our friend Paul. He's now going to travel into Corinth. And in Acts eighteen, we have a paragraph about him. And he's doing his best to convince people in Corinth about Jesus. After Athens, Paul went to Corinth. That is where he discovered Aquila, a Jew born to in Pontus, and his wife Priscilla. They had just arrived from Italy, part of the general expulsion of Jews from Rome, ordered by Claudius. Paul moved in with them and they worked together at their common trade of tent making. And every Sabbath, Paul was at the synagogue, the meeting place, doing his best to convince both Jews and Greeks about Jesus. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was able to give all his time to preaching and teaching, doing everything he could to persuade the Jews that Jesus was in fact Messiah, King. No such luck. All they did was argue contentiously and contradict him at every turn, totally exasperated, Paul had finally had it with them and gave it up as a bad job. Have it your own way then. You've made your bed, now lie in it. From now on, I'm spending my time with the other nations. And he walked out, walked out of the synagogue, and he went to the home of Titius Justus, a God-fearing man who lived right next to the Jews' meeting place, right next door to the synagogue. Paul's efforts with the Jews weren't a total loss, however. For Crispus, the meeting place synagogue president put his trust in Jesus and his entire family believed with him. So we're now traveling in this second missionary journey. We're traveling down the Greek peninsula. We've now come down to the bottom to Corinth. And Paul is going to stay in Corinth quite a long time. We'll find out next week, how long he's going to stay. But this time he's just kind of getting into the city. He does what he's been doing. He goes to the synagogue and he begins to do two things. And I really, these are things for us to learn. Number one, he tells his story. This is my story. This is my song. <laughs> yeah, he had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I believe with all of my heart that he told that story every time he went to a synagogue. And because he was a rabbi, he then began to connect the dots between what he had learned from the Old Testament scriptures about Messiah coming. And he began then to say, I've had this experience, I've now gone back and reread. These places of prophecy that where the prophets wrote about the coming Messiah, and because of this experience, I now have a new lens to see these things. So let me read this passage to you, and then let's have a discussion. There is there is a Greek word that keeps showing up in the second missionary journey, and and what you know, kind of people that do the word study for us, it, it, that word becomes a technical term to describe what what Paul was doing. He takes a, a word out of Greek that's kind of in general out here, but he's he's beginning to use it consistently. And what that mean, What it means is let's have a conversation. I'm going to tell you my story. We're going to we're going to reread some scriptures that most of us have read all of our lives, and we haven't heard. And then we're going to have a, a discussion about these. So again, this has blown my mind. I've always kind of imagined Paul. We kind of get this this. This, you know I know he was a strong personality in some ways, but he's not just yelling at people. He's not just in front of people telling them, this is the way it is or go to hell. He's really inviting people into a conversation based upon both his experience of meeting Jesus, the resurrected Lord, and never getting over that, a review of what he had known all of his life, and then bringing that to the table and saying, we've got to talk. Let's have a conversation. So that's what he's doing. Now, to sustain himself, he was bivocational. Matter of fact, most of the rabbis in the rabbinic period were bivocational. Uh, the, if you didn't work at the temple, you, didn't, you weren't supported. They, their teaching ministry was carried on because they were bivocational. Now, Paul was a Turk. He was from Asia Minor. If you were to visit Asia Minor today, what what has anybody ever been encouraged to go to Turkey? Nobody's ever been. You okay, have been encouraged. You've been to Turkey. Oh yeah. Stopped. You stop. You're at the airport. That counts. Was there anything in the airport or in the encouragement of people that want you to? Is there anything that people want you to bring back from Turkey? Figs. Okay. How about things that are not grown, but things that are the crafts? What's, what are the crafts of turkey? Does anybody know? Necklaces, gold. Keep going, what? Rug, okay, Turkish rug. Some of them fly, I don't know. Uh. Leather. <laughs> leather. If you want a really cool leather jacket, turkey is where you need to go. Paul, it's not, so, it's not that we. he probably was not a tent maker. He's probably a worker of leather. So he's making uh, coverings and that sort of thing. But this is a really cool Turkish yurt. So I thought that was a great... So he could have made that. I don't know. But the word is a little bit more broad than just tent. So he is busy. And he, it actually sounds like he gets a job with Aquila and Priscilla. So he's moved into Corinth. His team isn't with him, so he's got to find a job. And he finds Aquila and Priscilla, who are Jews that have been expelled from Rome, and they've set up shop as tent makers in Corinth. And so Paul goes in, you know, I, I, I've got this, I, I've, I've, I know this trade too, you need some help, they say yes. So now you've got these three. Now interesting, Aquila and Priscilla... Uh, lived in Rome under the emperor Claudius, and he ruled from 41 to 54. He is Nero's dad, and uh, sadly, Claudius was poisoned with mushrooms by Nero's mom. When he when he, he was thinking he was going to kind of a he was going to appoint another son, and so as soon as Claudius's mom heard that the other son was going to be the emperor, she brought divine food, is what Nero called mushrooms. Because Claudius ate them and became a god. <laughs> you got to laugh about the tragedies of life. Oh my goodness. But under Claudius' rule, he denied Jews in Rome the right of free assembly. And there is also really, really, really interesting. Sidonius, who is another historian, says, As the Jews were indulging in constant riots at the instigation of Crestus he banished them from Rome so are we talking about Crestus or Christus so that, so m- many think that what had happened is that the message of Jesus had made it to Rome and just as w- as we've traveled around Macedonia there have been several street demonstrations against Paul and his ministry of Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being alive, the kingdom of God arriving, that quite possibly someone had taken that message to Rome and so that there begin to be street demonstrations in Rome and the way to handle that was, hey, you Jews can't get together anymore. And maybe Aquila and Priscilla actually came to Corinth having been expelled uh, from Rome to Corinth, but actually knew Jesus at that time. So it's it's just, again, we don't know yet, but isn't that fascinating that that's a possibility? So here we have Priscilla, Aquila, Paul, making tents and doing their best to convince people, both Jew and Greek, in Corinth about Jesus. And again, I think the focus was we want you to know that Jesus is alive. There's been a resurrection. Somebody that died is now alive. And we know that that's evidence that he's a really unique person. And he, and he said some stuff. I even heard him say some stuff like, He is the Messiah, He's the King. And when the King arrives, the kingdom arrives with Him. So this kingdom of God is now here and increasing. That's kind of the core of what they're trying to do their best to convince other people. So if we can kind of bring all of that into us right now, today, in our community, I would like to just ask us some questions. The first is, what do we want others to know about Jesus? Now we can have a conversation. I'm really, this is, I'm really asking a question. We want others to know something about Jesus. What do you want others to know about Jesus? We want people to know that God has demonstrated His love to humanity by sending Jesus. That's a, that would be a good thing for most people on the planet to know. That there is a God who loves us. Matter of fact, He loves us so much that He saw us in our distress and He sent somebody to do something about it. God loves us, demonstrated through Jesus. Great thing. Thank you, Robert. Anything else? He's not dead. dead. There's a God who loves us. He sent Jesus. Jesus ultimately is killed, dies on a cross, but... There's been a resurrection. He's alive. We would want people to know that Jesus was raised from the dead in the first century, and He's alive today. Good thing to know about Jesus. What else? Grace and not judgment. Yeah, Jesus was so full of grace and truth. And Jesus, I mean, in His own words, I did not come to condemn I came to forgive. We'd really want people to know there's a God that loves us, a God that's alive, and a God that has tons of mercy to give to those of us that fail and then grace. Gift after gift after gift after gift. A very giving, gracious, loving God. Good thing. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. He's saying, come follow me. And why is he asking, why is he asking people to follow him? He loves, so much. He, he loves us so much and he, and he cares. And what happens when we start following him? Our life changes, our, our life changes for better or worse. I mean, for better. Oh. He's got something better. I mean, he's the creator of life. He came, he lived life. He died, he was raised, and he's inviting people to follow me. I I really want you to live life at its best. And if you'll follow me, it's it's not going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I'm not saying you're going to have the perfect life. But I can guarantee, if you start following me, your life will, over time, be better than it is. And then if, if everybody in this room knows God loves them, knows that Jesus is alive, knows that He has poured mercy and grace into our life, and knows that He's invited us. We start following him, and our lives begin to get better. If that's happening with all of us, what's now happening out there? the we, the, the humanity is changing for the better. Do we have a vision for that? It's hard to see that. At times I get really discouraged, but is not that proposition there? That this God, I mean, I want people, another thing, I, I want people to know that Jesus came to begin setting things right on planet Earth. And so we're moving towards something that's going to be really great. And hopefully we'll make progress. But a lot of it has to do, do we really believe that? Now, if we're not out there doing our best to tell the, just these four things to people, what are people learning about Jesus? I mean, I would go back to my first 16 years. I had a portrait of some guy with long hair that had blue eyes. And nuclear war, the end of the world. Until, thank God, young life came to to, uh, Amarillo and somebody started telling us the story of Jesus. Everything we just said... They told us over time. And even came to the point, do you want to follow Him? By that point, I said, yes, I want to follow Him. Man, there is no better proposition being made to me anywhere. So if we start there, these are the things we want people to know. We want to convince them about Jesus. So I want to ask you, who in the marketplace, who in the classroom, who in your neighborhood could you invite to follow Jesus with you? as you think about that, no, I did not say, who in the marketplace, who in the classroom, who in your neighborhood do you confront with the gospel of Jesus? And I didn't ask you to do that. Did I ask you to do that? Did, did you notice, did you notice in the story? There's something really subtle. That is Paul, I mean I think Paul never recovered. From the Damascus Road and encountering the resurrected Jesus, I don't think he, I don't think any of us would, who, who would ever recover from that. How would life ever be normal? A resurrected, alive from the dead person shows up and says your name, and it has the you know, <laughs> and then he's inviting people to let's let's go back, man. I, I thought I understood this stuff. I do not understand this stuff, but I now have some insight on. it. Can we talk about it? Did, that's that I think was Paul's way of doing convincing. But did you notice how he was treated? He was defamed. The Jews actually defamed him. Those that just resisted, no, I don't believe you. I don't. I don't think you have. I don't. I don't. I don't believe your story. Resident. talk to jesus on the road to damascus somebody raised from the dead you to sure they just defamed him they got angry they yelled at him now i just I would just like to ask you in our secular humanistic world who's doing the yelling and who's doing the defaming See if we get too religious, if we forget who we're following, we can be we can like become the Jews that were resisting Paul. Okay, think of anybody in the marketplace, who you work with. Someone in the classroom, who you go to school with. Someone in your neighborhood. In front of you, behind you, on the sides. Give me a name. Just say a name. Is there somebody in your marketplace, in your classroom, in your neighborhood, that you could do your best to invite them to come along with you to follow Jesus? Got a name? I mean, I mean, everybody in our community is following Jesus? Get, the silence communicates two things. Everybody we know follows Jesus right now, or we are so cut off from everybody, we don't know anybody else. Now, if we're cut off from everybody and we don't know anybody else, that's a big problem, isn't it? So we need to go out into the marketplace, you start looking around the classroom, looking around the neighborhood, praying, oh, God. <laughs> Somehow, way, we have become a subculture of our culture and we are so totally cut off. I know that everybody in the marketplace, everybody in the classroom, and everybody in our neighborhood, they don't all know Jesus. Many of them don't even have the portrait or the nuclear bomb picture in their head. I want to encourage all of us in the marketplace. We go back to work tomorrow. We go back to school tomorrow. In the classroom. We actually go back to our neighborhoods today. Can we all go back to see, you know, there's got to be somebody around us that we can build a friendship. We can get to know them. I mean, we don't start out the conversation. Do you know Jesus? I and mean, that's, that's not really usually a good way to start the conversation. But like, how are you today? <laughs> my name is... Where do you live? What's your faith? Whatever. Good conversation starters. But then praying and saying, well, I want to I do my best to convince the people around me to follow Jesus. And then the last is, who has exasperated us enough in that invitation to cause us to turn to someone new? You know, some of us, Maybe have persevered, 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 persevered with the same person year after year after year after year after year after year. And it might be time for some of us to say, you know, they're not listening and they're not going to listen. And I'm actually wasting my time and I, and I need to go find somebody new. Now, I do know there's stories of some people that have wonderfully persevered for 30, 40 years and at the end of it, somebody starts following Jesus. So if that's, I mean, if the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to do that, don't listen to me, listen to him. But if we're just spinning our wheels with people that are not listening, it is really time for us to get to know some new people. And they're here. I'm wondering, I just, I just, I just, can we, can we do better? Can we do better? At... Trying to convince our generation about Jesus, and if we don't, if we're not, if we're not willing to say yes to that, who's going to do it? I believe in you. <laughs> I see Christ in you. I want people to know you. I want people to experience communi- the, the benefits of community that we have. I want others to experience that. Why? Because it, it just speaks of Jesus. Jesus. This is true. Jesus is alive. Jesus is helping us. Our lives are better because of Jesus. Now, I don't get it confused. Are your, our lives aren't better because we come here on Sunday morning. No. That's not really the reason. It's because of Jesus. So, would you like to stand with me? Could we just maybe just pray for a moment? Now that I've given you a little bit more time to think about people in the marketplace, the classroom, and in your neighborhood, anybody, does anybody think of somebody that is around you in one of those places? Okay, like you got one. That's good. I got two. Got three. Oh wow. Four or five. Okay. And I was really getting worried. May I pray that every one of us, that like, like the Holy Spirit really would just like give us a new friend. Does does everybody want a new friend? Does everybody want a new friend that does? They don't know Jesus. Don't have a clue. Like they're like me when I was sixteen. Portrait of Jesus, nuclear bombs going off. Would it, could we pray? Do you agree? Can we pray that way? There's really, there's really just two things that I would, I really can. Can we agree? One, that we really want, we really want to do better than what we've been doing in convincing others about Jesus. Now I'm not, again, not church, not theology, just plain Jesus. Do we want to do better? And the second thing I forgot, but if you give me a moment, it'll come back. Or maybe it won't come back. So if it doesn't come back, forget it. I'll call you later. So if we agree on that, can I pray that way? All right. Lord Jesus I think every one of us has a story, really a wonderful story. Some are more dramatic than others, but really every one of them counts. You introduced yourself to us. (laughs) Every one of us at some point heard you say, I love you, I forgive you, receive my mercy, receive my grace, now come, follow me, and I'll give you more mercy, and I'll give you more grace, and I want your life to be better and better and better. I want to teach you how to live life and to live life as its fullest. I want, to, I want you to connect better with the people around you. I want to give you back the gifts of, of family and connection, community. And I want you to begin to join me in setting things right on the earth. Lord, the proposition that you've given to us, the invitation you've given to us, it really has improved all of our lives. Lord, as we stand before you this morning, as we look back in history and see our forefathers, we come to this point of realizing, oh Lord, we want to do better at convincing our generation about you and Lord, we don't want to leave it up to others that are really not representing you well we We, we want to do on a in just a personal way a person to person relate we want the people. That we work with, the people that we go to school with, the people that are in our neighborhood, we want them to know you. And we want to be people that tell them our story and invite others into conversation about who you are and the benefits of knowing you in this life. So, Holy Spirit, give us a name. Give us a new friend, each and every one of us. Someone that doesn't have a clue about who you are. And let us begin to tell them our story. Let us begin to make a new friend. And let us someday be able to say to that person, come along with me. Let's follow Jesus together. Lord, would you bless us with that new friend? And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for our time together. I think it's time to collect our kids.